So we've been looking at our um, vision and values and, and um, what we believe and why we believe them. And um, I just want to continue on that a little bit because today uh, we're going to speak on what our values are. And um, we've been looking at over the last few while the, at our vision, which is to know Jesus and to make him known. And um, I think last week for me, even in preaching it, um, I just felt the presence and the pleasure of God as we exalted Jesus Christ. And I encourage you, if you weren't here, to, to listen to that message. Um, but that message, that vision is in the context of, of our mandate. And that is this, um, to be a gathering, healing, training, sending church. And so what does that mean? Well, we gather together, we gather as saints, we gather as people looking in, we gather people who are whole, gather as bro- uh, people who may be broken, and we want to see healing and restoration in their lives. And, um, and as um, Wes said about Brandon and Bonnie, Brandon actually started hanging out in, at this church when he was 13, 14 years old, and um, so he's a true son in the house for sure. But um, yeah, for healing, and you know, when we put it, when we, it, when the enemy isolates us, that's when things really go wrong for us. It's like taking a coal out of a fire and putting it on the side there, and eventually that it goes out. So I want to encourage us in the gathering part to be there for each other. But the healing is spiritual, physical, emotional, emotional healing, and you know, if we've been in this world long enough, we have got some healing to do. The great thing about it is we worship the healer, Jesus Christ. We serve him and we're part of his family, part of his body. Then we want to see people trained and equipped um, for their works of service. We'll look at that uh, as we go through the values, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 and so on. But every single one of us has a mission field and a mandate from God. And that mission field starts right where we are in Nanaimo, in our, in our, where we work um, the people around us, the neighbors, uh, goes to the nations. But we want to be see people trained and equipped uh, the, and so that they can give account of their faith for, for number one, but number one, also that for their own, for, their own um, build, for building up their own faith. And to go, we're going to look at um, our values. So those, we've looked at our vision of men and our val- values. And um, our values are, are simply the essential the, uh, building blocks born out of our convictions of how we should live according to God's word. We're going to look at our primary value today. And I see this going up and down. And I just want to get this little booklet and a few things I left. I don't normally have props for my sermon, but today I do have one. And uh, let's hope it works. But um, you'll see this little book was at the door. It's our vision and values. And um, encourage you, if you're looking into the church, um, please pick one up. You may have got one when you came in. But they're online um, because it's important if you're part of this church or looking in, you know, you understand who we are and what we believe as a church. And these values were established even before we arrived here uh, in 97 to plant the church uh, in Nanaimo. These are the values of uh, um, the apostolic team we're part of, New Covenant Ministries. And I was born into these. I was saved in a New Covenant church in um, 1984. And uh, 
So they, we hold them very dear. And this is, I want to start today with this, our primary value. And that is that the Bible in its entirety is the inspired word of God and is the only acceptable standard for life, ministry, and conduct in the church. The Bible is the plumb line. The Bible is our plumb line. And we believe that the Bible nothing, um, Bible nothing minus nothing. In other words, we don't add to the Bible and we don't take away. We don't take anything away from the Bible and we don't add to it. And we have some exciting news to, um, to tell you about for next week. And if Mark Manfredi can come up and let us know what's going to go on with regards to the Bible. And uh, Mark, uh, Mark is, um, has been in an eldership. He's he, with us for a number of years. Come up here, Marky. And um, he has got his um, master's in theology, and he has set up the Bible school for, that's been running for how many years now, Mark? Six years. Six years. Let's give him a hand. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I just... Um We're excited about the Oceanside School of the Bible class that's being offered this fall, but I want to give you a little sneak peek about what's coming up for 2020. Uh, About 40 years ago, I had an an elderly uh, Christian man in my life encourage me to read through the Word of God. I had never read the book from front to back, and, and he said, just take a year and do it. And I did that, and it just changed my life. At the end, I said, what do I do now? He said, just keep doing it. So for 40 years, I've been just reading the Bible every year. Uh, and some of you have tried it, and it's been very difficult. We want to uh, set up a way to help the whole church to be able to do that in 2020. So we're calling it the 2020 Challenge. And uh, as a church, we're encouraging everyone to read through the Word of God. We're going to use the Chronological Bible, the New Living Translation. It's very easy. You see the day of the, the week that you're in. You just open it up, or it's available on your phone. Uh, and one of the things we're going to do is Tuesday nights, I'm going to offer a webinar uh, that you can just log into on your computer, on your smartphone, on your tablet for an hour of teaching and questions about what you're reading. So I really encourage you to start to think about as couples, as families, with friends, to think about taking the 2020 challenge, and you'll hear more about it as we get closer. Thank you. Thank you. We also have the School of the Bible starting soon, uh, and uh, we'll hear about that in the booth, no doubt. Awesome. Great. I'll get the dates wrong if I say anything else. You know, there's a huge attack on the Word of God. And I found this quote by Timothy Keller, speaking of the Bible and culture. And I can't say it any better than him. This is what he says. We cannot make the Bible and culture equally authoritative. If we state what the Bible says here is true, but what it says over there is regressive and outdated, we have given culture the final authority over the Bible. Either the Bible is the final authority and determines what is acceptable or unacceptable, or culture has a final authority over the Bible and determines what text is acceptable and unacceptable. The foundational question that we need to ask ourselves personally is simply this. Who determines what is right or wrong? Is it the Bible or is it culture? In Zechariah 4.10, it says this, Men will rejoice 
when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. And um, the context of that is the, is the um, restoration or the building of the second temple. Um, Ze- uh, Zachariah's name means Jehovah remembers. And uh, he had the... He, uh, uh, he prophesied over this time and encouraged Zerubbabel to finish the second temple. Well, we know that in Christ, we are that temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And there needs to be a plumb line. And I've made my own high-tech plumb line. You know, you can buy them on Amazon for 50 bucks if you want one. But anything can be used as a plumb line. It's an amazing thing, gravity. You can use anything to make a a straight line. And we know when we're building because this is the connotation of building of the temple, but also the word of God. When we build, we can stick this anywhere we want, and we can build straight. But as soon as we do this, things go off track. And that's what culture does to the word of God. It brings it, it pushes it out and out like this. And it goes here, and one, you, you see seasons, and in the seasons I've seen over many years in the word of God, one, culture takes us this way, and then it takes us that way, and this way, and that way. It swings backwards and forwards. But the amazing thing, at the end of the day, God's word wins. It is the plumb line. And if we want to put culture above uh, the word of God, which many people are, unfortunately many uh, Bible teachers have gone that way, it negates the word of God. But at the end of the day, we will give an account to what we teach and preach. The problem is, and we're going to speak maybe about this a bit next week, Ephesians 4 tells us that we to speak the truth in love. And I think often the world and people have a right to say that we haven't done that, that we've judged people and, and we've um, made certain types of lifestyles more um, sinful than others. I want to tell you, all sin is sin. And this water is pure. Let's say this is the word of God. And I, I don't want to be rude, but if I offered this, as I've just opened to Brian, who's one of my best mates, he would drink it. But if I did this in there and offered it to him, I'd be very surprised if he did. And you see, that's what happens when we add to the word of God. It, it pollutes God's word. And we have no right to do that, I believe. But we need to speak what we do in love, forgiveness, and acceptance. Understand then that we are all sinners saved by grace through faith. And whether it's one little sin like this or whether this was full to the top of spittle, sin is sin. And God cannot look on it and send his only son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price. So when we come to the throne of grace... We come through Jesus Christ and you in a living way. We cannot stand before God outside of Jesus Christ and his sinless perfection. And Hebrews 4 says we come to the the throne of grace. We come by grace. In other words, it's got nothing to do with ourselves. And when we get to the throne of grace, you must see that's amazing. We receive mercy. In other words, when we come into God's presence, we get what we don't deserve. We can come into the very throne room of God. And when we receive that mercy, the word of God says, then, then we find more grace to help us in our times of need. 
And that's a daily thing. That's why spending time God in his word, in his presence, that's what it does. It's like having a beautiful crystal clean shower every morning, starting the day afresh where I come and I, I, I try to do this every day. Sometimes I miss it, but every day I want to come to my father and stand or sit before him, come through the throne of grace because I need it every day. And instead of judgment, I receive mercy. And then I find more grace. And that's what God wants every single one of person to, be, to have. So we as a people need to understand that we are not people's judge. God is. But we need to create an atmosphere through our lifestyle, through love and good deeds, to be able to speak the truth and hold the line. And I tell you, it is hard. It is difficult as a pastor these days to do that because culture is wanting to override the word of God more and more, I believe. You see, in both of Paul's writings to Timothy, he charges Timothy with a number of things. Now, these are amazing words that Paul wrote here. These are, the, these are his final writings um, before his death. And he chooses to write his final writings to his very true son in the faith, to the one he loved more, Timothy. He was a son, a brother, a co-laborer with him for many, many years. He loved this young man. And I'm sure when he was writing this, he was thinking, what can I give Timothy to take this further than me? I'm sure Paul is absolutely shocked to see that these letters are now scripture. And 2,000 years ago, two, uh, years later, we're still trying to fathom the depth of the revelation that Paul had on righteousness and grace. Both of those. Righteousness and grace. And we see this to Timothy and to Timothy Sorry, in 2 Timothy 1 and 2. Fight the good fight, Timothy. Keep the course. He writes this to Timothy in his first letter, Timothy 6 12. Exactly what I've just said. Fight the good fight of faith. Timothy, choose your battles. The fight we fight is for the faith. Choose your battles. The enemy will distract us and get us fighting all things, but the, uh, the true fight is the fight of faith. The true fight is the inerrancy of the word of God. Our minds are as narrow as this book, but this book is so big. And this is the fight, not with people, because as we heard in Ephesians 6, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling against people. And that's why it's important that we pray. That's why it's important that we, we create atmospheres, not only in the spiritual through prayer and all of that, but in the natural through our good deeds, so that God, hearts that have been hardened by sin, hearts that have been hard, hardened by the rejection even of the church, can be softened by the power of the Spirit of God. And he says this, take hold of eternal life to which you have were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In 2 Timothy 2.15 he writes, do your best to present yourself to God 
And he notes three things. As one approved. As a worker who does not need to be ashamed. As one who correctly handles the word of truth. King James, I love that sometimes, and I do love it in this verse, who rightly divides the word of truth. The plumb line. And I say this to us as Oceanside. This is going to be a, a short message. We're going to break bread to me and us. Oceanside, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. This includes me first. A worker who does not need to be ashamed. As one who correctly handles the word of truth. He says this in 2 Timothy 3. It's amazing in this book how he talks about error and people going off the track. And he's saying, Timothy, you need to hold this plumb line. I'm handing it over to you. I'm handing this over to you. Don't go this way. Don't go that way. Stay to the truth. And we know that truth is Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. But he says this, and he reminds Timothy, and that's why I love what Mark's going to do in 2020, because there's some scriptures I absolutely don't understand. Some of them don't make sense to me, and I often wonder why I have to need to read through some of them. But this is what the Word of God says, that all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture tells a story. And often the things we're reading that are boring are, are creating a context of where the word of God is taking us. Or speaking of, of uh, the context of the past. So all scripture is there for a person. It tells a story. The story of redemption. It tells the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. It tells the story of creation. But it is all God breathed. And it is useful for this. For teaching. Sometimes we need to be taught. For rebuking. Sometimes we need that too, for correcting and for training in righteousness. Why? So that the servant or the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And his final written words to Timothy, shortly before his death, very emotional time for Paul. He's in jail he asked, he's writing to Timothy. He's been deserted by his friends. He's been sentenced to death by Nero for this one thing, that he refused to do this. He refused to do that. All he had to do is acknowledge Nero as God or deny Jesus Christ, and he would have been let go. But he refused to do that. And I think that's why he's writing these letters to Timothy. Timothy, the pressure is going to be incredible on you. And he says this to Timothy. 2, verse one, four, 2 Timothy uh, 4, verse 1 to 5. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, we will all stand before him.
And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. This is not a suggestion. This is not even even a talk. This is a direct Timothy. This is what I'm charging you to do when I'm gone. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers who will say what their itching ears wanted to hear. It's interesting, in the temptation of Jesus, in Luke 3, in the desert, the enemy says, did God really say? He said that to Adam. Adam. In a sense, he's saying to Jesus, this is what the word of God says. He will command his angels concerning you. Didn't God say that? Yes, but Jesus brings him back to the truth of the context of the word of God. And the did God says are all over the show. And they're getting worse and worse. And, you know, the great thing about darkness is the darker the brighter, uh, darkness, the lighter the light. So this is not a message of fear or condemnation. This is a message, a sober message of this is who we are and this is what we're called to and this is who we serve. And this is who one day we'll stand before and the king of glory, and give an account. And I want us to be a people who speak the truth in love. I want us to be a people who everybody and anybody is able and willing, willing and, and welcome in this place. But I don't see the point of people coming here or coming to us and not hearing the truth. And so I'm asking all of us to make sure that we are speaking it in love, but that we hold the line. I'm not surprised that there's such an attack on people in this place, and I'm not afraid of it because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, principalities and powers, but we, are, we come and we are strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And we come with that in our hearts. Knowing that God has determined the times set for us in the exact places we should live. And we cannot put 10 tons of truth, and maybe some of you feel like that today, on a one-ton bridge. We've got all this truth, and often we just dump it on people that we meet. And it just goes like this. We need to Build that bridge. Strengthen that bridge. There are people in my life, on the apostolic team and others, that when they speak into my life, sometimes correctionally, and there are people here too, for sure, 
Sometimes they correctionally, and I can take it because I know they love me. But others, even maybe after a preach like this, may not be as gracious and may speak the same truth, but because I have no relationship, I can't handle it. And so that's where we've gone wrong. It's not with the truth that the church has gone wrong. It's gone wrong with love. 1 Corinthians 13. I can prophesy, I can do all of these kind of things, but if I do not have not, uh, uh, love, I'm a clanging gong. That's what people hear. Bong, 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 bong. Okay, let me put that phone down. But when it's done in love, people can receive it. And so the way we do this is not go around and judging people, but loving them. Loving them unconditionally. Jesus wore this as a badge of honor, friend of sinners. He hung out in the pubs. He hung out with prostitutes. He hung out with different people, yet was without sin. And why could the woman at the well take that correction? And why was she sad? Because she knew that he loved her. She sensed that in her heart. She knew that, that he loved her. And that's a place where we need to live if we're going to do this right. Because so often people tell me, The church has done a bad job and this word and all of that, and it's true. But what they are wanting you to do is to throw this away and to rewrite some of the words in here. And sometimes they justify because they have been done very harshly. But we need to get back to the word. That is the primary value in this church. You see, for, for... For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what the itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ways. These are his last (laughs) words to Timothy. Then he starts asking him to bring his, his parchments and so on. But this is his last charge to Timothy before his death. They will turn their ears away from the truth And turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Timothy, it's hard to stand the line. Do the work of an evangelist. Timothy was a timid guy. More than likely more pastoral. And all some of us have different gifts. But he said, Timothy, even though you're pastoral, even though you are timid, even though you're afraid to stand up in strangers, just do the work of the evangelist. And I think a lot of the work of the evangelist is actually building bridges. When an evangelist stands on a corner on a soapbox and says, "Um, you're going to hell, fire and brimstone, who listens to that? But when an evangelist goes into the highways and byways and begins to feed, when begins to give clothes, when begins to give a cup of water, when begins to do those, all of a sudden people's hearts are open. When they sit on the streets with the drug addicts in the city, we have a problem here. And it's not going to be solved by so, through social services. It's only going to be solved by the power of God. We need to see people set free instantly from addictions. 
We need to see them set free, but we need to love them first. We need to. And he says, Timothy, I know you're leading this church. I've left you and you've got stomach problems because you're nervous and all of this. And, and drink a little bit of wine to, to sort that out, to calm your nerves. I don't know what you're saying there. But anyway, he says at the end, Timothy. He didn't say do the work of a leader, do the work of a pastor, because he was doing that already. So now, Timothy, you've got to take what you have outside of those four walls, outside of that, and start doing the work. And work is deeds for me first. I was just reading that now and read that. I said, oh, my Lord. We do an evangelistic thing on the street and, and so on. It's wonderful. So everybody can do the work of evangelists. We all can get a cup of water, Tim Hortons, and do that. And because we're a team, this is an amazing thing. There's some questions that I do not answer for, have answered for, and I've got Mark Manfredi to help me. There's some questions Mark doesn't, doesn't know, and thank the Lord he's got God to help him. It doesn't matter. Just say, I don't know the answer, but can I find somebody who does? Can I bring somebody along? Can we do the, but this just hangs. I just want to tell you at this stage that Jesus loves you. Let's forget about who made God and the chicken and the egg and all of these kind of, let's forget about that. We'll try and work that out. But Jesus loves you. And I want to show you that he loves you because I've got this, I brought this for you. And I gave this to you. And I did it in the name of Jesus. Let's worry about this stuff as we go. Do the work of it. Discharge the, all the duties of your ministry. And that church, because it's in the word of God, is the same charge for us today. Preach the word, Oceanside. Preach the word. Preach the word. Amen. It doesn't mean that we'll have to stand up here in the pulpit. I'll confess this to this day. I get very nervous of standing here, especially on a Monday. <laughs> I'm called to do it and I do it, but I will give an account. So I want to tell you, people say, I can't, I'm not a preacher. I want to tell you what that word means. There are two Greek words used to describe preaching in, in the New Testament, two primary words. There are others. The first one that I've got here is the word kurex, K-E-R-U-X, kurex. I hope I pronounced it right. I'm not a Greek, but I do know some Greeks, and they can help me along. And that word is this. Interesting. It's a herald or ambassador those words have way more, but the, the genesis of that word is to be a herald, herald or an ambassador. And I looked up the word ambassador, what it really means. And it says that someone commissioned by a king to bring a specific message without adding or subtracting 
to anything the king said. If I'm ambassador for Canada and I'm sitting before our prime minister and he says, this is what I want you to tell. Tell that country. We want peace and we want to work this out. And that's all wonderful. And he writes it, you got it there. And you stand before the king or the prime minister of that country or president and you represent what the leader, the king or the prime minister said. That's your job. Imagine if he said that and I went into a place, an enemy camp for the country instead of bringing peace. I said, you know what? You guys suck. We're going to blow you up. We're going to send you to kingdom come or whatever it is. You know, those words could start a world war in the hands of an ambassador. If I went there in my own like this and I said that, they'd just lock me up, throw away the key and laugh about it. So as ambassadors of Christ, we have the word and this is what we are to represent. Whether we understand it or not, it is the living word. It's like a mighty sword. And we can rather say we don't understand it ourselves and there's a lot I really don't understand and I think that's why we're going to live forever because in heaven it's going to take us forever to even unpack it. Preach the word, Timothy. Preach the word. Be an ambassador. You have a king of glory that has commissioned you, has saved you, has healed you, has set you free, has anointed you as, the, as his ambassador. Now you go and you represent me well because if an ambassador said the right things but acted like an idiot, he would also be in trouble. It would bring shame on a nation. If our ambassador to wherever goes from here and he's caught going crazy, doing all kinds of things, getting drunk, uh, partying like a rock star, it doesn't shame him. It shames all of us. And when I started reading that, I thought, oh my Lord. Powerful words. So that's that word. To de- declare, proclaim, declare, and no, yeah, to, to represent the king well. And the second word is the word Caruso, K-E-R-U-S-S-O. And that mean for, word for preach means to proclaim, to declare, and to evangelize. We see this in scriptures like Mark 16, 15 to 16, where Jesus commissions his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Now that's for all of us. To Caruso, to proclaim and declare the gospel. And whoever believes in, uh, uh, and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. In Romans 1, 15 to 17, he uses, Paul uses this word again. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you in Rome. That is our responsibility. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For in it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the uh, Jew first and also to the Greek. In Isaiah 52, verse 7, 
Isaiah prophesied more than any other um, prophet about the coming Christ. Zechariah, which means Jehovah's remembers, in that little book prophesied the second most about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says here, speaking of that gospel in, in advance, he says this, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring the good news, who caruso, who bring the gospel, who proclaim peace, the shalom of God, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And we see that fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 4 when he is baptized in the Holy Spirit. He comes out of the river. He, uh, he, he goes into the desert. He comes out and he goes to his hometown. He finds this exact chapter, Isaiah 61 verse 3. And he says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim to Caruso good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, for, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to disp- bestow on them a crown of beauty, instead of ashes. This same spirit is upon us. This is what we do when we preach the good news. This is what we call to, to, to speak and pray and prophesy over people. People full of ashes of sin, full of ashes of, of all the stuff. He wants to wash them clean and put a crown of beauty on them. He wants to do that for us. For each one of us. The oil of joy instead of mourning. How many of you (laughs) appreciate the oil of joy? (laughs) The joy of the Lord. See, joy and happiness are two absolute different things. Happiness is conditional to circumstance. Circumstance. I get a good job, I'm happy. I get fired, it sucks. That's happiness. Joy, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy is that inner peace and that inner strength that even when we are in the midst of a fire, in the midst of trials and tribulations, there's something in us when we come into the presence of God where our mind is saying, chaos, chaos, chaos. We know that we know that the Lord is our God. We know that He is there for us. We know regardless. Even when we say, God, where are you? We know and we have this joy, this unspeakable joy which is not determined by what the stuff we have, but by God himself, for it's the joy of the Lord. Instead of a, uh, 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 and a garment of praise, instead of a spirit of despair. I'm going to stop there. There's quite a bit more. I tell you, this is one of the most sobering Things to talk about this book for me. And it could take months and years and lifetime upon life, lifetime to fully unpack it. So, in, in preparing for this, 
My biggest fear was that I would misrepresent us before God and his people. And there's so much in here. I didn't know where to stop or where to start. I mean, where do you start? Genesis and Revelation. Have you got time for that? You will next year with Marky, eh? Well, I'd love us just to, I really don't even know how to land this because it's sort of, I've got halfway through. Well, maybe we'll carry on this next week. But I would love us just to bow our heads for a while. These are sobering times, but incredibly exciting times. God is moving with incredible power all over the world. And he wants to move here. I've just spoken to Marcel in Haiti. He's coming here. And I'm going to go there in January for a couple of weeks for training and equipping of his leaders. They've just finished a 40-day fast day. He said, God is in the midst of that place, in the midst of now, there's more rights and more of this and that that's going on. God is moving in power. People are getting saved. The power of voodoo has been broken over people's lives. And when I spoke to him and I asked him how it's going, and I said, what, how's the political thing? Oh, he says, he says, oh, my brother, he's now in his 70s. Don't worry about that. We always have that. But let me tell you what God's doing. Don't worry about that. God doesn't want us to worry about our futures, about what we shall do, what you eat or drink, or what of all of those kind of things. God just says, don't worry about those things, Matthew 5, I think it is. Just seek my kingdom. And I will add these things in the midst of the storms. I might not give you what you want, but I'll give you what you need. So, Father God, I just thank you. I thank you for sending your son. I thank you for saving us, Lord God. I thank you for giving us such a high calling, ambassadors of Christ. Representing you at the highest level in all creation. Co-heirs with Christ. Kings and priests. Lord, I thank you for your grace. I'm going to end with this because I need your grace more than anybody else, I'm sure. And they feel the same. That you are not angry with us, Lord. You are spurring us on. And Lord, we come to the throne of grace right now. Lord, we, we come and we take off those rags, those dirty clothes, and we put on afresh every day, a new clean robe of righteousness. It's always there, but for us, Lord God, it's good to know that we can come into your presence 
and receive your mercy and your grace. And Lord God, we're going to finish this with the breaking of bread. Because Jesus, without you, the King of glory, the one we represent as ambassadors of, without your obedience, without your humility, without your love, we would not be here today, Lord. And I know your heart and the heart of the Father is simply this, who will go and whom can I send? Lord, I pray, Lord God, that you bring us to a place where we can all say, regardless of where we are, regardless of what we've done or the mistakes we even make today, that we will say, here I am, Lord. Use me. I thank you for that in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you, church. If you could have the worship team up here. Yeah. Can anybody smile at me? <laughs> uh, I read something, Mikey. God is good. Um, just as we're closing, uh, I just want to read out of John 13, just as we're about to take communion together. It says this, it says, it was just before the Passover feast and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And I was just thinking this morning is, how are we going to administer communion together and I think what we're going to do is I'm going to encourage you to come up and grab a, um, one of the packets there that has the cracker and the, and the juice. And I just want to get into groups of four to six. And we're going to do something that kind of looks like washing each other's feet. And we're going to be doing it through the gift of encouragement. And so um, what we're going to do is... If you're around people that you know, I want you to encourage each other. The Bible tells us that encourage each other daily as we see the day appearing. And we're going to just take a moment just to speak life into one another. Okay? It's easy, to, it's easy for us to nitpick and know the issues in people's lives and all these things. But let's take a moment and speak the opposite. I think about Jesus' life and, and um, he did amazing miracles, but it wasn't a slow buildup of washing his disciples' feet, then healing a leg, then doing this, and eventually raising someone. It was, this was the very last thing he did with his disciples, knowing that his time was near, knowing that he was showing the full extent of his love, and it was to serve his disciples. So can we just take a few moments, partake in communion, thank God for what he's done, and serve one another through encouragement. Is that cool? Um, so let's do that. And when, when you're, whenever you're ready, just come up and grab uh, some things and pair off with four to six people. And uh, we'll just begin to do that.